going to share some things with you from the last entry in the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament. So if you want to turn there, um, I've titled this A Call to Revival, and, and I will say it was, I was maybe a little bit more pumped Wednesday night because I knew Brenda was just a couple of days from getting back from Georgia. Bless her heart, she had two full weeks of grandchildren. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, I prayed for her a lot. That God would just encourage her. Um, the book that you found is Malachi. And his name is rendered my messenger. That's what Malachi means, is my messenger. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite Bible. It's not a study Bible, but it's, it's uh, absolutely one of my favorite Bibles. It's a classic devotional Bible, and it has all kinds of devotions from different ones. Catherine of Siena is right here, as I'm looking at it in Malachi. Um, she lived, you know, somewhere in the Middle Ages, and it's got uh, devotions from people like Martin Luther King all the way through all the church history, Spurgeon, you, you just name it. It's got all this array. If, if you want a great devotional Bible, just Google the classic devotional Bible. I'm telling you, this is my favorite. And it's not a study Bible. I, I use other Bibles for study and use uh, things like BibleStudyTools.com to, to really research Scripture. But let me just give you what the opening of Malachi um, as, he, as, as the one who penned, put this Bible together, uh, described Malachi. The temple had been rebuilt, but times of prosperity had not come. The people were suffering drought and famine, and they responded with indifference and spiritual lethargy. They had forgotten God and treated him with dishonor. Against such a backdrop, Malachi was written... While Malachi's message is filled with indictments and warnings, be alert to God's passionate love for his people and his desire that we return that love with our own wholehearted love and obedience. Now, this is just a, a four chapters long, and I'm going to take you through the whole book. How's that? But we're going to go real quick through the first couple of chapters. Um, when you read this, it's kind of, he employs an interesting... Um, way of communicating and it's through question and answers it's almost like the people are not asking these questions it's like he says so you would ask such and such and he starts this off real early in in the first few verses um where he talks about well you can see it if you're there when he says i've loved you says the lord but you ask how have you loved us and he does that all the way through the book he makes a statement and then says, well, how's that? And he, and he gets into chapter 1. He goes down and you see in verse 6 that he reads, you read this when you look at verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. Am I a father? This is the Lord talking to them. Am I a father? Then where is the honor due me? And if I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. If you are, it is you priests who show contempt for my name but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And then he gets to the first problem going on with these people. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, here he goes again. 
But you ask, well, how have we defiled that altar? The Lord's, by saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? So you see this uh, back and forth with questions. He's asking, well, you've got problems because of how you're treating God. You, you're treating God lower than you would people on your own level, your governor. You would give your governor better things than you would give God because that's what you're doing. And he goes on to declare later on in this chapter, and I'm just running through chapter 1, and I'll do the same thing with chapter 2. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. In other words, he's saying to the priests, if someone would just shut the temple down, it'd be better not to have any sacrifices than what you're bringing to God. Well, that's a hard statement to think about, isn't it? So he's holding the priests responsible. Why is... Why is the Lord hold it because they're the ones who are teaching. The people are allowing the people to do things that he says is totally unacceptable. The Lord declares in Malachi 2.7, if you're following along with me, that the priest is the messenger of God. That He's the one who brings the word of the Lord. The people were suffering hardships and God raised Malachi to address what was going on. The revelation of that they were way away from what God wanted them to do. And there was all kinds of problems with their crops, all kinds of problems with their families, all kinds of problems with what was going on. Now we're going to move to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, before I get to the main verse, there's two things that God points out that the people, he's just tired of what they're doing. And verse 13 is this tearful display when they come before God. And why are they tear, Tearful. Because their crops are failing and they're crying out to God. And this is what the Lord says in verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. And he follows this up by using this analogy of divorcing from the one that you're really married to. He's saying, Israel was married to me. Israel was joined to me. But they divorced me. They have went after something else. And he uses this analogy, and he follows this divorce setting up in verse 17 of chapter 2. And he says, your words weary me. I'm tired of your words. Because what they were, and what it says there is kind of hard to process they had come to the conclusion and were saying that those who are doing evil are really blessed of God. In other words, they were saying, they come to the conclusion, it doesn't work if you trust God because look what's happened to us and it seems like people who are evil are being blessed. And we've never thought that, right? <laughs> That's why Psalm 73 is such a great psalm because it talks about, you know, the, the writer saying, it just seems like the wicked, they don't have any problems. In fact, if you, th this is in Psalm 73, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. They were doing the same thing in Malachi. They were saying, it's useless to do this because it doesn't work. 
And then you come to chapter 3, and this is where we're going to really focus on. This is verse 6, Malachi 3.6. The Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. Can everybody say amen to that? And you really will say amen when you see what he says. I, the Lord, do not change. If I did, I'd destroy you. (laughs) In other words, he's saying, I'm not like you. And we can all say, thank the Lord for that. I'm, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm not up and down, in and out, wishy-washy. I'm not for or against. I'm, I'm not like you. If I was like you, I would get tired of you and do away with you. But on down in verse 7, this is where the call to revival takes place. In, in my mind, I'm thinking about this message. And I remember a message Brother Carl Strader preached. How about that? You know, I listened to this guy when I was in Bible college in the 70s and still remember his messages. And one of his messages was pay down revival. He talked about how God blesses the generosity of people and it actually fuels the move of God. When people get generous with God, generous with... I remember listening to Brother Strader preach when he was building a, like, 8,000-seat carpenter's home, new sanctuary, and he was saying, we're going to build that sanctuary because we're going to increase our missions giving. Now, there's, there's financial logic for you, right? We're going to, so here I am in Jacksonville getting these tapes every few weeks, and I'm listening to that, and we're, we're going to go into a building program, so I get up <laughs> inspired. I get up and says, we're going to build this new 400-seat sanctuary debt-free, and we're going to do it by increasing our missions giving. How about that? <laughs> I got inspired. You know what? We built debt-free. We had increased our missions given. Money just began to pour in. People donated property. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. And I was like, God honors generosity. And he is about to call a people who were struggling Their crops were failing. They were in drought. They were in poverty. They were crying out. They were coming to the temple. They were crying lots of tears. But something was wrong. And God is about to point out what was wrong, what was basic, fundamentally wrong. But he gives this offer, and this is his call to revival. Verse 7, Malachi 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Here it is. Underline this. Return to me. And I will return to you. That's a promise of revival. That's a promise. You're struggling and there's a reason you're struggling and I'm not the problem. God said to them, I'm not the problem here. But if you return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, here's this question again, but you ask, how are we to return? Glad you asked that. See, this is the call to revival. Return to me and I'll return to you. And this is a summon to Israel to turn back to God and he will return to them in the way of blessing. In fact, if you look down in verse 12, he says, if you do what I'm about to tell you, the nations around you will see the blessings that are upon you and will say, man, that is a delightful place to live because of the difference 
He says, how do we, you ask, how are we to return? Glad you asked that. This is what God points out. Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? I had something so humorous happen to me this week, and I'll share. But will a mere mortal rob God? How can we rob God? Yet he says, you have robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Glad you asked that too. In tithes and offerings. Sometimes I'm thinking about what I'm going to be preaching, and I'm studying, and I was like, I'll just listen to some podcasts, see, see what other. And I found this, I found this one podcast, the, the first one I turned to. I started listening, and it must have been a large church, uh, just by, you know, just the introduction, large church. <laughs> and, and the guy read this passage, Malachi 3. He said, well, that's the one I'm going to be reading. I'm just going to listen to it. And the first 10 minutes of the podcast was that he was explaining to the people that somebody had robbed the church. Somebody had robbed the offering, thousands of dollars. And he says, somebody's robbed God of his tithes and offerings. I was like, wow, that's really robbery there, isn't it? Somebody, somebody has robbed God. And I, and I just... For the life of me, I got too tickled. I couldn't keep listening to it because it's like, okay, that's really, truly robbing God. And we're going to get whoever. Now, he didn't say that, but it's kind of like, God is going to get you. But uh, it just totally did not help me at all in what I was preparing. Will a mortal person rob God? He says, yes, specifically in tithes and offering. Now, the tithe is a specific term. It's not an offering. It actually means a tenth. And it's the first fruits. It's the first tenth of crops, of animals. God built this really into the DNA of Egypt when he brought them out with that last plague of the death of the firstborn. He, he put value on the firstborn. You, you, you know, Robert Morris does a great research on this and explanation. But this was not the first time that you see first fruits highlighted in the word of God because the first person that brought something that other the first a tithe was Abel Abel and Cain brought different offerings and we've always maybe thought that Cain's offering was because it wasn't a blood sacrifice it was an animal it was like vegetables it was crops whatever he, he was growing and Abel brought an animal But there specifically says in Genesis 4 that what Abel brought was one of the firstborn. Already there was a sense in them that God had priority. And it said that what Cain brought was an offering, but it wasn't at the same level what Abel. We always thought it had to do with blood. Cain was bringing like a tribute to God. Abel was bringing the tent saying, God, everything I have, you're the reason. And so this belongs to you. This is not really an offering. This is yours. It already belongs to you. And I'm just being obedient with what already belongs to you. You can't rob someone of something if it did not belong to them. If anything, Malachi really kind of clears the air about a tenth 
of our first fruits is actually God's. It's His. And if we take that, we've taken His, what belongs to Him. Offerings is what we give to missions. Um, Grace First was up here, you know, and, and maybe some of you, we, we do this twice a year because Grace Church, now Vineyard Ministry, and uh, Fair, uh, uh, First Western Cross in Northport, all four of us are joined together. We're, we're committed together in doing things for the community, so we do this twice a year, and this is backpack. But that's pretty much like arms. That's helping people who are in need of having a backpack. And we, we help people, other people with backpacks for school, getting ready for school. But that's an offering, what we give to Speed the Light, what we give in missions. We, and we're going to have our missions convention up in December. And Kirby Riles coming to speak. I'm so excited that Kirby's going to be here as our speaker. We supported him for a long time in Russia and now in Belgium. But these are offerings when we go, when we give to children's ministry. Any of those, those are offerings. But the tenth belongs to God. I, I had a conversation with a couple of people before service, during, before even Sunday school, about their, their perspective on tithing is very interesting. I'm not going to go in detail. In fact, one said that instead of giving tithes that, that morning, that Sunday, they, they just didn't think they had it. And the next day they had a flat and it was it, on the tire and it equaled what their tithe was going to be. And as a see there, <laughs> God got it anyway. So you might spare your flat tire by just giving it to the Lord in, in advance. Here's Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, because this is so important. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will flow with new wine. The Lord is declaring to Malachi, through Malachi, honor me. Honor me with your tithes and offerings. Not your, in verse 9, he says, you're under a curse. The whole nation is under a curse because you've been robbing me. You know, Brother Strader was preaching this one time. He says, don't anyone go out here and say that Brother Strader said that if you're not tithing, you're under a curse. He said, I didn't say that. The Bible said that. So there it is. You see, instead of blessing, we incur this the result of not obeying God, not honoring him, disobedience. And he says, revival waits on you dealing with this. Return to me. What does he say? How do we return? Isn't it, you know, how do we return? He said, glad you asked that. It's got to start with who is your priority? And he says, right now, I'm not your priority. Until you make me your priority, then I will return to you. In other words, I will return blessings to you. Long before Moses got, the, the, someone says, well, that's the law, and we're not under law, we're under grace. That's true. I'm glad we're under grace. Ananias and Sapphira found out what under grace was all about when they were not faithful to God. Now, that's not the scares. It's just like, that, that, that doesn't mean anything other than we're under a greater weight of honoring God than the people before Jesus died and rose again. But think about Abraham. Lot, his nephew, was kidnapped with this, this, these two or three groups of people, forged an army, went in to Sodom and, and Gomorrah and just kidnapped a bunch of people, took a bunch of wealth, 
And word got to Abraham, you know, your nephew's been kidnapped and this uh, invading army has taken him and a lot of the wealth of the city. And, and so he gets his farm hands and they take off after him. And they overtake them and rescue all those kidnapped and get all of the plunder and get it back. And, and, they, and they're on their way back with all of that. And he stops and visits Melchizedek, king of Salem. And uh, Melchizedek, it says in Genesis 14, bless Abraham, and he said this to him, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a, a tithe, a tenth of all that they had gotten back that was lots he later went and gave to the king of Sodom everything that they had and they says why don't you keep the material he says no 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 I'm not keeping anything that doesn't belong to me and he gave God honor this was hundreds of years before the law and people already had this idea that when God blesses I give him the first fruits now watch this verse 10 Malachi 3 bring all the tithe, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. If you remember right, when the Lord, the Lord really destroyed Jericho, did he not? I mean, they marched seven times around that last day and gave a shout and the walls came down and they took the city. But everything in the city, God told them ahead of time, it's mine. Everything is mine. Do not, do not take anything from it. It's all mine. And you know the story of Achan. He saw some expensive clothing in a wedge of gold. And when no one was looking, he picked it up, put it in a bag, and took it to his tent. The next city that they were supposed to conquer was a lesser fortified city called Ai. And they had so much ease in taking Jericho, they were going to try to take Ai. But God had told them, says, now Ai, the plunder is yours. The city is yours. Whatever, whatever... Wealth in the city, you can have that. And this was kind of like God teaching them to tithe even in coming into the land of Israel. As we know now, because Achan had taken stuff that belonged to God and he was cursed, it made all of Israel get, get defeated at Ai. It not only affected his family, it was tragic for his family, as it turned out, but it was also tragic for the people of Israel because they lost that battle because somebody had overstepped what really belongs to God, and took what was God's. And so even there, the Lord is showing that if you take what's his, you're under a curse, just like Achan was. So he says, bring all of the tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, food in my house. Test me, and this is what the Lord says is waiting for you if you do this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven... And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He says, if you will do this, it will access to heaven's resources. God is saying, you're missing out. Israel, you're missing out on open windows of heaven. You're missing out on the potential of heaven being open to you by not obeying and honoring God with that first tenth. You know, I, I, you know, I've had people ask me to pray for a job situation. 
both family and outside of my family, and it's always, you know, I, 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 who doesn't want God's direction, right? And technically, we look for a job with better pay and better benefits. I'm like, well, that's pretty easy to uh, discern that this must be the will of God. And sometimes people are desperate because their financial stress on their family is, is so tight. And so I pray. But one thing I've thought about, if, if any of those individuals are not being faithful to God in their tithe, I'm really praying that God will override his own principle. And that God will actually bless, we're asking God to bless, if it's us, we're asking God to bless our disobedience. That we, we, want, we need, if, if you give me this, I will, it's kind of like guys surviving World War II. Lord, if you let me survive this war, I will live for you. Well, that's all well and done, but you have to come to the conclusion you ought to live for him anyway. And making deals with God, I'm just saying this, if this is your approach, you've got you've to step out on faith first and honor God with what is rightfully his before we can say, now I'm, I'm trusting you. I trust you enough to bring me relief. You know, I, I, I was taught tithing by my mom and dad. And they came up through the Great Depression. Every slice of bread. You know, my son came back from staying with them one summer. And he says, Grandma is, is weird. And there was this banana. And at the end of it, the end of the banana was dark. And it was, I thought it was bad, and I threw it in the trash can. He says, Grandma came by the trash can and said, there's still banana in that, in that peel, son. He says, I know it's bad. She says, no, it isn't. She, he says, and she picked that out of the garbage can and ate it. <laughs> I said, that sounds like somebody I know. It, it is a sin to waste. Even if it's laying in the top of the trash can. But this is their their view of things was totally different than ours. They valued food. They valued everything. And especially when they belonged to God, they would say, Remember, if you get a dollar for your, your birthday, a dime of that belongs to God. That was hammered into us by people who wasn't focused on gaining wealth. They were focused on surviving. And they says, but for us to survive, we have to honor God. For you to survive today in our world, you have to honor God. You don't need a better financial plan. You need to honor God. And let, let a financial plan come behind that. But you've got to first honor God. First, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The psalmist later says, oh, I don't understand. It looks like the wicked are just, just having all the ease and money and all of this. And the tide turns when he says, but I tried to understand it. It troubled me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly, how suddenly all that. How, how often have you heard of people very wealthy? Uh, you know, I, I remember the first time I heard of Harmon Killebrew. I know I am dating myself here with Harmon Killebrew, Minnesota Twins. But first time I ever heard of, a, a, of an athlete, well-known athlete that probably had a lot of money that he earned, not in today's terms, was bankrupt. Was bankrupt. I remember when I heard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 
was basically bordering on bankrupt. I thought, all the money he made, all the possibilities. It just goes to show you that just because people accumulate wealth doesn't mean they hang on to it. It's like the psalmist says, it can can slip out of your hands faster than anybody can think. All is said and done, all that matters is what we've honored God with. You know, this is not a money issue, really. Giving is not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It really is a heart issue. In Malachi 2, 1, he says, I'm giving the warning to the priest, and I'll finish with this. Brandon, if you can come up. Now, I'm giving you a warning to you, priest. And see, this causes me, every time I step up here, someone says, are you nervous? I'm nervous every time I step up here because I know I'm being held accountable for what I say to you. And I'm responsible for what I say to you. I... God helped me never to preach my opinion, but to preach his word and let you draw from his word what you should know. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to read Malachi 3 to say, I wonder what he's talking about. I wonder, like, what's, what's tithes and offerings? What, what, what is that? He's made it real clear, and he's telling the priest that he's... Malachi is talking to the leaders of the temple more than the people. He's holding, God is holding the priests responsible because they're letting this go on. And this is what he says in Malachi 2. And he says, now I'm giving a warning to you priests. Listen to it. Honor me with all your heart. It is a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a money issue. It is a heart issue. And sometimes if our money follows our heart then we find out where our heart is going that we shouldn't go. That we love what money can do or the things that money can bring us. But he says, honor me with your heart, says the Lord who rules over all. If you do not, I will send a curse on you and I will turn your blessings into curses. In fact, I have already done that because you have not honored me with all your heart. One translation says, you have not set your heart to honor me. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. It's not even a church issue. It's an honor issue between us and God. Priorities. Would you stand with me? Seek first the kingdom of God. Boy, there were some good questions asked in that Sunday school class this morning. And it should be asked. What about unconfessed sin? (laughs) What about walking away and said, I just don't have it to give, Pastor. I'm in so much financial strain. My responsibilities are... We, We used to try to do a budget when I was my last year of Bible college, and it scared me every time I did it. I don't even know how we're living as a college student. But if you honor God, He will honor you. 
That's the bottom line. If you honor God, says, I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but somewhere you got to draw a line and says, from this point on, I'm going to honor God. And giving is not a chore. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a strain. It, it, it should. I love supporting these Chi Alpha ministries. All those missionaries, we have their pictures. We, name, we pray for them every Sunday night. I, I just have great respect for them. That they would leave their families and go to places like India and Nepal. You know, even though we don't, we, we just picked up a family that's going to India, the Hollandsworth. Because we want to have somebody on the ground there that we support. But the Lopers up in Nepal and Doug and Ramona that's up in Nepal, all of those people in those places, they don't have their birthdays with their families. They don't go to family reunions. They, they don't spend Christmas. They've, they've put all of that aside so they can reach unreached people with the gospel. When Brother and Sister Davis went to India, they put their two young sons in a boarding school and didn't see them for months. That was tough. But they did it because they were honoring God. And we might think that's unreasonable. But one thing is certain, you're only going to live one time in your life. Make it count for God. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are in a valley of decision. And it's a decision of the heart. We calculate in our minds, and when that calculator gives us the bottom line, we get a little squeamish. But, Lord, we are, we're just here for a brief time to honor you is the best thing we can do. And I pray for those who are really in a great need financially. May it turn from concern with finances to a love for you that brings faith involved in this miracle of revival that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out what we could never contain because we chose to honor you, Lord. I pray for people who are in a great, a great trial that's just overwhelmed them. Their money is short. Their options are limited. They're in this room. Lord, you love them. And they're already trusting you. Many of them have already setting that apart for you. But they're straining to see how it's going to work. Would you encourage them today that windows are opening to them and the abundance is on the way. Hallelujah. And we can choose to receive it by faith before we ever see it with our eyes. And expect your miracles, Lord. You know, one of the parts of this song is Jesus be the center of the church. Well, I can tell you this. We're going to do all we can to keep people from robbing our offerings. (laughs) We did have a break-in several years ago. Right back in one of those classrooms. Where somebody knew that where we put... The offerings after Wednesday night. So obviously it was someone that 
had been attending or was observant enough to know, and they took a crowbar. I, I didn't think you could open a fireproof cabinet. I know one thing, they were not going to carry it away. <laughs> and they took the Wednesday night offering and never figured it out, but we put in a burglar protection system. We moved centralized area. We got a safe, a hidden safe in there. We, we, we put in everything we could to be good stewards of what we have. We track every dollar. Every dollar. It's, it, and a full report is given to the, the deacons of this church every month. Everything that is spent is right there. And we do a full financial disclosure to the church every year. Everything. We're doing everything we can to be good stewards of what is the Lord's. And when there's a strain, we just trust God. We just believe that he honors that missions gift. He honors loving people. He honors making the priorities in our lives and in our church. And if there's one thing I just jumped at as we said, Jesus be the center of TFA. Be the center of this church. Rule and reign in the fabric of our community. And can we just surrender ourselves to that as we sing that? Lord, be the center of this entire fellowship, this community of faith. Jesus, be the center of your church.